We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. Hey, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're actually, uh, and, and we've been doing this, we, we're covering large sections at a time. And so as I've been reminding you, we are encouraging you to go and read this in your own time. Read it uh, with your MC, read it with your household, read it as an individual, right? To dive into that because we are not exegeting in the way of going every single word by word, but we're getting a sweeping overview of Hebrews right now. And we're getting uh, just kind of the, the main thrust of what the preacher from Hebrews is trying to get across, that message, right? And so chapter 11 is actually the longest chapter in all of Hebrews. We're not going to read it all today. And we're not going to cover everything in there today, but we'll do our best. And we're actually going to even jump a little past that and get the beginning part of chapter 12 too. So all that to say, read this. It's such a good chapter. It's also one of the most well-known chapters uh, not just in Hebrews, but maybe in the Bible altogether. And it's a very well-known one that maybe you've heard the term, the hall of faith, right? And so what it does is it's actually uh, the author of Hebrews, the preacher is trying to give you a backstory. And so it, he really kind of covers like three-fourths of the story of the Bible with different characters that came along throughout that. And so we know that story, and I'll do an overview of that part, but we're going to read specifically uh, the part that comes before that and the part that comes after that today. But for now, Hebrews chapter 11, I'll read the first three verses, and then we're going to read verse 6 as well. It says this, and I think I have the CSB on the screen, but I, I brought my ESV today. You can follow along in another translation. That's totally fine. We're going to get the same gist here. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then I'll read for us verse six as well. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, that he rewards those who seek him. This is God's word. Father, we ask that you would help us to see you more clearly today. That we would see Jesus, that we would see how you are at work in your world. God, in, in places like the near ancient Jewish people lived in, in places like Ukraine and in places like Phoenix. Here today, this morning, how you are active and at work in your world and that you are faithful in all you do. And God, may that, may that drive a faith within us. May we see what that means this morning by the power of your spirit, by your grace at work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... Getting ready for guests to come stay in our home. Sergey's been staying with us. Natalie and Donna over here uh, from Canada have been staying with us as well. Vancouver, correct? There's someone else here from Victoria. And so I'm always, no, nope, you guys aren't. Winnipeg. Okay. All right, I'm sorry. Was there somebody from Victoria at summer school this year? I always mix up Victoria and Vancouver just because they both start with a V. 
So that's why I keep asking you. It's Vancouver, right? So Natalie and Donna, Sergey staying with us. What do you do when you have guests coming to stay with you? Yeah, clean, right? Clean. That has been the number one part of my job the week before summer school started. It was like my hours <laughs> of my work week were in cleaning my house. Why? Because it was a mess. And now the, our three guests who are here, they're just like, oh, it was worse before we got here, right? And like, it, it, was, it was in bad shape. And here's the thing. You don't really recognize that until you know you have guests coming. Isn't that true? Like, you get really comfortable and familiar with your mess when it's your own. And then suddenly you're like, oh, there's guests coming, and you start to see it through their eyes. And you're like, ooh, I, I better put this away. I better clean this up. I better straighten up here and make it tidy, right? And I think oftentimes that's what we do in lots of areas of life. But I think even when it comes to our relationship with God, don't we? That like we get so familiar and maybe comfortable those of us especially who have grown up around the church for so long, that we stop to have this wonder and awe. We stop seeing it through the eyes of when we first saw it. And just similarly, as we were driving the other day, and one of them comments on the, the beautiful sunsets, how amazing the sky looks. And growing up in Phoenix my entire life, let me tell you, I've never stopped appreciating that here. I've always known that they're pretty, that it's a, a, a nice sight to see. But it loses some of its effect because of the familiarity. I don't just stop and go, oh my goodness, look at how incredible this is. Until someone else says, no, 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 this, this is beautiful. And it wakes me up, and it makes me see it now again, like the first time. And I think as we go through Hebrews, and we've been hearing this preacher kind of harp on the same message over and over and over again, and even as we get to now talk about this word faith, which is a very churchy word, it's a very familiar word to many of us, that temptation of familiarity lulling us into comfort and maybe losing a sense of awe and wonder is probably here in this room. But the reality is most of us probably don't even really stop to think about what the word faith means or how incredible it is that it has been given to us as a gift or what we are putting our faith in and how tremendous it is that we have a faithful God and so that's the invitation this morning is for us to really stop for a second and see it through the eyes that are new. See it through fresh eyes and go, wait, wait, no, this is beautiful. Can we see this for a moment? Faith, what does that mean? Well, we get a description, not a definition, but a description of faith. In the first couple of verses, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. Uh, some of your translations might have something a little bit different. It might say something like, it is the substance, right, of things hoped for. That word right there uh, is actually this word hypostasis in the Greek. For those of you like theology nerds right now, and you know like the term hypostatic union, you're like, oh, yeah, that's connected. Put that on a shelf for a second. <laughs> 
<laughs> we can talk through that later if you want. But hypostasis, and what that word means is actually, let me, I, I wrote it on my phone so I wouldn't forget. I want to make sure I get this one right. Only time I'll use notes. Hypostasis in the Greek is the underlying state or substance that is the fundamental reality that supports all else. Gravity is the hypostasis that makes you fall, that makes you come back down when you jump, right? It's, it's this underlying reality that is there, that exists, that makes everything else work the way it works. Here's what I want us to see about faith. Faith is not this kind of blind faith hope. It is not throw out all reason and logic and ration and just, just trust this. Just choose to believe this thing, right? That's not the kind of faith that Scripture is inviting us into. It's not this throw out all common sense, right? It doesn't matter if you don't understand it. Like, one of the things that really, really bothers me is when someone's really wrestling with faith, and I've been there, and you're wrestling with why in the world, if the word says this, and yet it seems like this is the reality, like why would God show up or not show up in this way, right? And you wrestle with that with your own experiences, and you bring that to somebody, and the response is, you just got to have more faith. You just got to... You just got to believe that God's going to come through in the end. And while that's good intended, and while there's some maybe truth to it, that's actually not the kind of faith that the author of Hebrews is talking about here. A confidence and an assurance, right? It's an intellectual, logical thing to say, because this exists, I can trust that this will happen. So all of us put faith in stuff every single day. Like you get up in the morning. Well, first of all, when you go to bed at night, you kind of have faith you're going to get up in the morning. Then when you get up in the morning, you go to flip out in your light switch, you have faith that the light's going to come on, right? You have faith that when you get in your car and you turn the key, it's going to start. You just, you live in such a way, well, some of us maybe, you live in such a way where you do things, you act on them because you expect an outcome. Why? Because it happened the day before. Because you've done it time and time again, and you've experienced, for the most part, it's come through, right? You have faith when you sat down on these chairs, it's going to hold your weight. But wouldn't it be ridiculous for you to have faith that if you jumped off of a building, you could fly? It would be. Don't do it. That's an irrational, illogical, stupid faith. Because you have no reason to believe that you're going to be able to fly except for watching movies about superheroes. But you know, even when you watch that, that's not reality. That's not the world we live in, right? So we're not calling ourselves to live in that kind of absurd faith that has no premise to it that has no underlying reality that can actually hold that outcome and make it true. We're being called into a faith that says, 
we've seen something happen. And because of that, because we know that there is a world here that cries out there must be a creator, because we've seen in our own lives that God at work, or we've seen in stories passed down to us, we know this will come true too. And so what the rest of Hebrews 11 does is it says, let me remind you about all these people from our past, from our history, from our ancestry. And it goes through, and, and there's people like Abel who offered a, a sacrifice in faith. There's people like Abraham and Sarah who in faith left their home and believed that God was gonna give them a child. And it goes on and on and on. And it's beautiful to hear this, like what Hebrews 12, we'll read in a moment, calls this great cloud of witnesses. I was telling a story as we were driving uh, some of our summer school students around, and we passed this property, uh, Phoenician Palms, where we used to have an MC around. And I was telling the story about how this couple in our MC moved there intentionally, even though it's a really low-income property, so that they can get to know the refugee neighbors, and we could build some relationship there, and we would serve dinners out of their back patio, and it opened up to a courtyard where we'd bring a soccer ball and play with their kids, and then playing soccer with the kids eventually brought some of the parents out, and we got to know them, build a relationship, and I thought, if I stop right here, this is a really beautiful story. But then I felt like I really should be honest and tell them the rest of the story, too, that the husband of the couple that moved in there ended up having an affair on his wife with one of the refugee women and the whole thing fell apart. And that's the reality of chapter 11, by the way. All these heroes of the faith, quote unquote, if you stop right here at the things that are listed, you go, man, what a beautiful story. If I can just be like them, and you might think that that's the point of what the preacher in Hebrews is trying to make. But then you get the rest of the story, right? And you go, oh, the rest of that story is that Sarah actually laughed the first time God told her you were going to have a child. And he said, why are you laughing? She goes, no, no, no. She starts lying. I didn't laugh. He's like, no, I heard you. <laughs> I'm God. Or she didn't believe at first. Or that Abraham, who also later, in a moment of not believing, decides to sleep with his wife's servant, to say, I'm going to get my child that way since I don't think God's going to come through on his promise. Or you got Moses who rescues the people from Egypt out of slavery, but also murdered somebody earlier on in his life. He left out all those parts of the story, right? And I want us to remember that these were ordinary men and women. These were regular people who also struggled with their faith. And what I want to say is the kind of faith also that we're not being called into is this like you never have a question about anything kind of faith. You aren't allowed to question. You aren't allowed to doubt. That's a dangerous environment to set as a church and to ask you all to uphold. When you start thinking, I can never question anything. Guess what? The Psalms are full of people questioning God. Full of that. These people listed in chapter 11 questioned God. God, where are you right now? God, you said you're going to do this. How? I don't see how that's going to work out in this present circumstance. Listen, the, the kind of faith we're being called into is not the blind kind of faith don't ever question. You can ask questions. You can reason. 
And you can come to God with those struggles and doubts too. At the same time, the kind of faith we're being called into is not just this logical, rational, intellectual thing either. It's not just an intellectual ascent. And I think that's oftentimes what our culture talks about faith as. It's like, oh, I have my faith and so I'm good. And what that faith means is like, I, someone told me once about this book, about this story. I heard a sermon. Maybe I read something once. And, and I said, yeah, I believe that. And I said a prayer or I raised my hand and I'm good now. So now I have this thing in my head that one day when I pass on from this life, I'll rise up to another life. And it's just all here in the head. Every single moment, every single example given in chapter 11 are people acting on something. That even though they doubted at times, even though they questioned at times, even though they sinned and messed up at times, even though they struggled at times, the thrust of their life was moving in a direction that says, this seems to be the reality I live in. I'm going to live like that's true. I'm going to trust that this will be the outcome because. And for some, like Abel, it was because he actually got to see God speak to him, right? For some, like Abraham, it was because he got to hear his voice. For others, it was because they had seen God do things in previous generations. And they had the story passed down from them, from their parents and their grandparents. They had seen maybe God come through on some other promise he had given in their life. And so they said, well, I've done this the day before. I'm expecting this day too. The same way that we expect when we get into our cars or when we sit in our chairs. That's the kind of faith that we're talking about here. This is the reality. God has created a world. And, and we're told in scripture, Romans says this, Paul writes, that all of creation itself, it, it shows us that there is a creator here. That's the underlying reality. There's a God at work. But more than that, more than that, like the reason you don't jump off a building is because when you were a child and you were standing on your, you climbed up to your kitchen table and you're getting ready to jump off and then your parents came and caught you real quick. And they're like, no, 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 no. And you, you saw them, the fear in their eye, like, oh, that's not okay. That's not safe. And the reason you can sit in your chair and expect that that gravity is going to work though, because there's something supporting you is because you've done that before and it worked. The reason we can have faith today is because something has happened in our lives that we can look to. And maybe it hasn't happened in your personal life yet, and I want to invite you to wrestle with that right now. But what we believe is something has happened in the world that we can look back on. That something has taken place, and we can say, this, because of this reality, we can expect this outcome. Because this has happened before, why do we expect that it's going to start cooling down right now in Phoenix? Because usually at this time of year, every year before it has, right? This year is a really bad example for that. But we can expect that in July, it's going to be 100 plus degrees. That's Fahrenheit, by the way. Do the math, Canadians and Ukrainians. We can expect it'll be 100 plus degrees here in Phoenix in July because every year that's what it is. 
because those events have taken place and we know they will again. Well, the events that have taken place all throughout scripture and all throughout the history of the world is that God has pursued his people. He has been faithful. And if you were here with us a couple weeks ago, you remember we talked about, my kids were like, Why does, what does it mean God's faithful? Why does God have to have faith? Like he doesn't even have faith in himself. And we talked about the difference. No, faithful means that you do what you say you're going to do. You show up when people are expecting you to show up. You come through on things. And God has always been faithful. He has always kept his promises. And because of that, we can place our faith, our trust, there's another English word for that, our, our belief, our hope, our confidence in the faithfulness of God. Because of his faithfulness, we have faith. We can trust that he will come through. And then over time, as we have trust and faith in the faithful one, we become more like him because we actually live like that's true. And so we begin to become more and more faithful people because faith is not just in the head. Faith is putting action to it. If you believe that chair will hold you, you sit in it. If you believe, if you have true faith that Jesus has done everything necessary for you to be near to God, why won't you live in a way that draws near to God? If you don't, you actually have a faith that something else is better for you in life. You may say it up here in your head one thing, but you're living out of a different faith. And so our call, our invitation is to live with our whole lives, with our whole selves, as if God really is faithful because he has proven it time and time and time again. I brought up that nerdy theology word earlier, and so we'll come back to it, and then we'll finish with this. Uh, if that faith is the assurance, and that Greek word there was the hypostasis, the, the underlying reality that makes all other things what they are. Uh, there's this word that people often use, uh, hypostatic union, and to talk about the reality of God, who he is in spirit, and the reality of human, who we are in flesh, coming together. And this reality of God becoming man is the premise, the underlying hypostasis, the underlying reality, the foundation of everything we now live out of. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, this is how the author kind of wraps up this thought here. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of these witnesses, these people in the past who lived like this is true, even though they questioned, even though they doubted, even though they messed up at times, the whole trajectory of their lives was saying, I'm making choices, I'm making actions, I'm living in a way that I believe in what God said. Because of that, he says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, that hypostatic union, the reality of God and the reality of man coming together. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our what? The founder and perfecter of our faith. It was by faith that Jesus, Jesus, the faithful one, went to the grave, went to the cross entered into the tomb, 
knowing because of the full power of God that he would rise again and conquer death and sin and rebellion and the enemy for all of us who would put our faith in him. He has made a way for us to have faith. The founder, the perfecter, he laid the foundation, the underlying reality, the hypostasis for us now to have faith, to trust in God. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And those of us who have faith in him will follow him there. We will pass through death and the shame of this broken world and of our own sin, and we will rise again in the reality of what God has set up for us, what he has perfected for us because of Jesus. Now, I'm not going to tell you, go from here, like wrap this up, like just, so just have more faith, right? Now I'm going to tell you to examine as the author of Hebrews said, examine this story, this history. Examine that. But also examine your own hearts. Examine your own lives. What is the thing I'm actually living by faith in? What am I really trusting is the reality of this world? And how does that show in the way that I live my life? Examine that, but then bring that to the one who created you. to The one who made all reality and ask for the power of his spirit to help you live out of a better faith. And you're going to mess up. The full story is going to show some ugly things, right? But if we believe, if these people, these men and women who are listed in this book, get listed as people who are righteous and faithful, that same grace from God is available to you and I that even though we mess up at times, Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, will perfect that faith in us as well, as long as we keep looking to him. So we're gonna look to him as we go to the table right now, as we remember how he went to the cross and despised the shame on our behalf, that his body was broken, his blood was spilled, so that the reality of our faith could mean that we would rise to eternal life with him.